You're listening to episode 30 of the We Get the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll explore running on a plant-based diet and talk to registered dietitian Matt Rossignio. Welcome to the We Get the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey runners, welcome to episode 30. My name is Letty Lundquist, I'm your host, and thank you so much for tuning back in. And if this is your first time, welcome and thank you for joining me. I want to start this episode with a disclaimer because the name of the episode, episode 30, is plant-based running. And I know most of you guys that are listening are not vegan. And I promise I'm not trying to convince you to become vegan nor make you feel bad about the choices that you make. I make this episode strictly to share some information of what's out there. So that's that. As for myself personally, I've been sitting on this episode for probably three months by now, and I think I accidentally might have published it at some point, but um, I've been sitting on this episode because I wanted to do an experiment and see if I could become a vegan. I wanted to give myself a fair chance to succeed in this, and so I figured why not try it for three months. I'd been a vegetarian since age 12, which is kind of funny because the only reason I became a vegetarian was because we learned the word vegetarian in school, and I wanted to do a bet with my best friend to see who could go longer without eating meat. Needless to say that I won the bet, and I'm still winning it. She actually lost after a week, and um, so then I've been a vegetarian for a really long time, or a short time, depending on how old you think I am. And so trying to become a vegan was always something that had been on my mind. So why not use this pandemic to try it out? Anyway, I have to report that I completed those three months successfully. I enjoyed it and I'm going to continue going and not put a lot of stress on myself at the same time. Not putting a lot of stress in your life when you're trying something new is very important because it keeps you from becoming obsessed about something. For instance, I know people that have tried to become a vegan who ended up obsessing about what to do with their shoes now because they would have tons of shoes or belts that had leather in them and how can they do one and not the other. That's something that could definitely keep you from having a good experience. So as for myself, I told myself I'm going to eat eggs if they come from a source that I know. For example, my friend John has chicken and I know he just has chicken because his children like to play with them and they treat them nicely. And the same with my children. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and if they go to a party where they get a hot dog, I'm not going to go crazy nuts and tell them they can't have that. That's not me. I want my children to be vegetarians or vegan eventually, but I want that to come from them. So what I can do is contribute to educating them about choices, where stuff comes from, what goes on, and then ultimately it's their decision. All right, so that was my very, very lengthy disclaimer. But now I know that you guys will just be open-minded and not judge anything, and we can jump right into this topic. I'm going to start by playing you an interview that I had with Matt Resignio, and then I'll have some input from our running community about veganism and what the top tips were that I was able to gather from you guys. So who is our expert? Our expert is Matt Resignio, who is a registered dietitian and has two nutrition degrees, and he has been a vegan himself for over 20 years. Matt is also the author of The No Meat Athlete and Appetite for Reduction. He was super down to earth, and I'm excited to play you my interview with Matt. 
All right. So I'm here with Matt Rosigno. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. So could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how long you have been plant-based? Sure. So I'm a registered dietitian, which is the only professional credential in nutrition. Um, and so I have two degrees in nutrition, including graduate training at Loma Linda University, which uh, some folks might know from um, the Adventist Health Study, which is one of the largest cohorts uh, looking at nutrition in the world that's ever existed, 100,000 people, and that's based in Loma Linda, California. Um, and I was really fortunate to do my graduate work there. Um, and I have been a vegan for, I think I'm in my 25th year here, so since uh, 1996. Um, it's been uh, an important part of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I went vegan as a teenager and all through my nutrition studies and everything. So here we are. What made you go vegan? So, um, you know, I was looking at the outline a little bit, right? And uh, we're coming into this time, I think, where it's really important to differentiate between vegan and plant-based, right? I don't want to get ahead of uh, ourselves here in this talk, but I went vegan um, for ethical reasons. You know, I always loved animals and, um, you know, I tried to be vegetarian when I was like 11 years old and then 14 years old and it didn't really work. And, you know, my like Italian American household where we ate a lot of meat and um, um, as soon as I could and could make that transition, you know, I thought, you know, I love animals. I don't want to eat them. And it was really that simple. Um, and then fortunately, you know, I learned in all my schooling the benefits of eating more plant foods, right? And so when we say plant-based, I think what that means is a diet that is predominantly whole plant foods, but not exclusively. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure about that. I've actually used those terms interchangeably. I assumed somebody who's plant-based is also vegan. Yeah, it, it's really confusing, actually. I mean, so veganism is, it, it really is a social justice movement that says, you know, animals aren't just machines that produce meat and milk, right? That they're living beings and they should be left alone, you know, and that's veganism then, you know, says no leather, right? Which are talking about running, like finding shoes without leather and, and other things without um, wool, like wool is a really big one. You know, I've done a lot of cold weather backpacking and uh, finding non-wool socks can be a challenge and then you have plant-based which just means eating mostly plant foods right and I think a lot of people who are vegetarian or flexitarian um, use the word plant-based and uh, they may use leather and whatnot as well and then there's a third thing if I want to confuse you a little bit more is whole food plant-based which is sort of the predominant nutrition of a lot of the vegan doctors and that is um, strictly no animal products, but also also no oil, no refined flour, no refined sugar. And so that is a very strict diet. And that's called whole foods, plant-based, WFPB is the acronym people use. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. I, I was really unaware of it, even though I'd been a vegetarian, you know, myself since I was 12. So that's super interesting. Um, so let me ask you, um, I know you worked with athletes before. Why do, you, why do athletes go vegan? Yeah, this, this is fascinating because this is something that has really changed a lot, you know, in my like two decades of involvement. Um, and early on, you know, we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s, there were vegans who, you know, were into athletics and were into running and were into cycling. And they said, hey, let's show people that this is possible. 
you know, that they're not dying of protein deficiency, you know, halfway through a marathon, right? Like, let's just show people, let's wear vegan shirts and say, look, we can do it, you know? And that was a big statement, right? Because people really didn't think it was possible, you know, which is unfortunate because there is history of this, you know, it's not new. It didn't start in the nineties. Um, but then in the last 20 years, we've seen this huge influx of interest for performance, right? And, and that's interesting. And, and I'll be really honest, the research hasn't caught up yet, you know, cause it is a tough thing to study. Um, but there are, potential benefits with eating plant-based, you know? And I think that unless someone is keto or paleo, most runners are eating some version of plant-based, right? When you go to an aid station, what do you have there? You know, it's not like you just have like, uh, you know, beef jerky and eggs or something, right? You have pretzels and you have oranges and you have tortillas with peanut butter and you have all these things that we fuel with, bananas, right? Um, that are plant foods. And they're good because they're mostly carbohydrate, but they have some protein. Um, they have um, a high water content, most fruits, fruits and vegetables, right? And these things are beneficial um, for runners and for performance and for fueling our, our bodies, whatever we're doing, whether it be a 5k or, you know, the bad water ultra marathon. It's like, you need this fuel to perform. Um, and, and so now that more people are doing it and successful people like Scott Jorick, you know, have done it, um, it's, it's really influenced the running world. It's been really cool to see. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So can you tell us what happens um, with your body when you're used to eating meat and then you go to a strict, let's say, not call it plant-based, let's call it a vegan diet. What happens? Um, because there's so many ideas out there that like you mentioned earlier, things that we can't do when we don't have meat that we eat. Yeah, man, there's so many ways to answer this. Um, you know, one is like anytime you change what you eat, you know, there's going to be a learning curve, you know, and no matter what the change is, right. And like our brains, I was just writing about this earlier. Um, our brains love habit. Like they love consistency. They want us to keep doing what we've been doing. And so changing behaviors is, is quite difficult. Um, and so when we make the switch to eating more plant foods, um, there's a knowledge, you know, barrier, right? What do I eat and how do I do it? How do I order? How do I cook beans? You know, and even little things like chewing. Um, people say beans cause bloating and gas. And a big part of that could be just not chewing them all the way. You know, if you eat a piece of meat, you like really have to chew it, you know, and you feel that. But then with beans, they're smooth and we tend to, people tend to swallow them whole and they say, oh my God, my stomach, I can't eat beans. Well, try eating them slower and chewing them, right? And that can help with our digestive system because it is a change. And part of that is the fiber, you know, and if there's one thing that we could all do for our health, you know, at least most people is eat more fiber. 
um, you know, we, the evidence is really clear, right? Getting more fiber lowers risk of chronic diseases, um, really is impactful. But if we're not used to eating a lot of fiber, like most Americans aren't, that could be a big change in our, in our gastrointestinal tract, like in how it's handled. Um, and, and that's something that I see a lot um, that happens is just difficulty with consuming significantly more fiber. But our bodies can adapt with time. So that's one big change. So, um, you know, I live in Southern California, right? Burritos. We love burritos. And um, let's say that you're like, you know, you heard this podcast and you're like, wow, that Matt guy is so smart and interesting. I'm going to be vegan now. And then you go to your burrito place and you say, okay, no meat, no cheese, no sour cream, maybe. You're, you're removing a lot of calories, right? And then you eat the burrito and then you're like, man, I'm hungry again already. And then maybe you go for a run later and you're like, I don't have the same energy. This vegan thing doesn't work. But really, it's about calories. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with is because plant food has more volume, right? But fewer calories. And so you may eat a giant plate of food, you feel full, but you're not getting the same number of calories. And so if you reduce your calories and your training, you're going to be impacted by that. You're going to have lower energy, right? Because you don't have the fuel for your body. And part of that with eating fewer calories is then you're eating less protein, right? And it's because of the change you haven't replaced yet. You know, I don't think the people who make our burritos aren't going, well, they didn't get meat. Let's give them more beans. You know, I wish they did that. <laughs> and, and, and that can be an, an approach then is that the confusing part is you have to eat more right? And the joke is with like ultra athletes who are plant-based or vegan is that they're always eating, that they're constantly eating. Like Katja Corbett, the like the famous ultra runner, you know, she, I, I've, she talks about eating like eight avocados and it's like, oh my God, eight avocados <laughs> because her caloric needs are so high because this is someone who runs, you know, hundreds of miles a month. And so that is the, the big thing in making the transition and getting enough protein is simply eating enough food to fuel the workouts that we're doing. The big stereotype that if you don't eat meat, where do you get your protein? You know, it's fascinating, the protein question and all, and all of this, because it always comes up, you know. Um, and I get it. Like if, if you're obsessed with protein, which lots of people are, and I don't think they should be, but they are, you know, and then you look at a plant-based diet, like you look at lentils and, and people say, um, oh my God, but you're getting so many carbohydrates and you're getting so much fiber, right? Um, and therefore it's not as good of protein. But that's not true. Like we need carbohydrate to fuel our workouts, right? And fiber, um, you know, isn't digested, right? And so we're not getting those calories. And so it's a different way of looking at food, but it's more holistic, you know? Um, and so you can still hit those numbers. And I think a another part of it is that most people don't quite understand protein recommendations, right? Um, there's a plant-based endurance athlete Facebook group. I don't know if you're in it or you've seen it, um, but I just wrote a long protein thing for them um, and just trying to even understand the framework of protein. So for example, the RDA, the recommendation for protein, um, all RDAs are based on a bell curve. And the RDA is set two standard deviations above the mean amount that 
you know, people, the mean number of people would need. And so there's already this buffer for protein, right? But then people look at that RDA and say, oh, well, I'm an athlete, so I need more. And then people say, okay, you're an athlete, but then we should give you a little bit more. And then so suddenly you've built in like four extra buffers for how much protein we need. And then you use this totally inflated number to then look at a plant-based diet and say, oh, I don't know if we get enough, but really you're getting plenty, right? And for endurance athletes and for runners, simply eating more calories means eating more protein, you know? So if you need 80 grams in a day, and you're going from 2,000 calories to 3,000 calories, it becomes a lot easier to meet those protein needs. So can you elaborate on, yeah, it definitely does. Um, and that, you know, triggers my question, what are our protein needs, athlete or not, and if there is any difference, as you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I can send you some resources. I don't know if like on the podcast page, you like link things, but I can, I can send you some of these papers and stuff that I'm That'd referencing. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the protein recommendations, um, you're Ecuadorian, so this makes sense to you to use the metric, um, is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Okay. And nutrition, we use metric, and that's so annoying. And I don't even know what it is in pounds off the top of my head, um, something like 0. 0.45 or something. Um, and so 0. 0.8, and that's not much, right? And, you know, if someone weighs, um, you know, um, 50 kilos, you know, you're only looking at like 45 grams of protein, you know, it's not much. Um, and so that is the RDA. That's the established RDA. And as I said earlier, already has a buffer, right? Two standard deviations above the average amount that's needed. And so people will fit into this bell curve. Um, and, you know, it covers 98.5% or whatever the number is of all people is that 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram um, ideal body weight even, you know, so if you're carrying some extra pounds, um, you know, you don't count those, right? And so protein recommendations aren't very high. Um, so for athletes, right, the current recommendations are between 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram body weight. And that's pretty big, right? That's a big difference. So a 50 kilo person um, who is maybe a bodybuilder or um, a power lifter um, might need two grams per 50, right? So now that's 100 grams of protein a day. And that's quite a lot, right? Especially if someone only weighs 50 kilos. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of protein. Um, and those newest recommendations come from a paper that is a collaboration between the American College of Sports Nutrition the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the professional organization for dietitians, and the Canadian, uh, oh man, what are they called? Sorry, Canadian folks, the Canadian Dietetic Association or something like that. Um, th those three entities wrote this paper. I think the most recent one is 2016. And, and those are their recommendations, 1.2 to 2 grams of protein. And that's a huge range. And when you dig into this paper, you can see that there's a lot that we don't know. Because when we talk about protein, um, sorry, I'm turning this into a little bit of a science lecture. Um, okay. I hope it's interesting to everyone. <laughs> it is, um, it totally is. Good, good. Um, when we say protein, it's an umbrella term for essential amino acids, 
right? And, and we've heard of these methionine, lysine, um, isoleucine, leucine, right? And each one of those has its own recommendation, right? And so if lysine requirement goes up, then all of the protein requirements go up as well, just because of lysine. And so this is very complicated to figure out how much we need and what is ideal. Because even the same person, you know, let's say they like, like, okay, I can't run because of the air quality. I'm going to start lifting weights. And that person lifts weights like really well and really effectively for a month. They've now changed their lean body mass and they've also adapted. And so now they're like a different person than they were a month ago. So their individual protein needs change as well. And so it gets really complicated in figuring out how much each person needs. And I'll be really honest, like I don't keep super strict track. And even, you know, when I was training for Ironman and stuff. I, I didn't keep track. I didn't think I needed to, you know, if, uh, if I felt like I wasn't building the muscle that was expected, I would just simply like, you know, eat a little bit more protein, you know, an extra scoop of lentils at dinner or something. Okay, protein is easy to get on a plant-based diet, right? All whole foods have protein and they have all of the amino acids. So even a banana has protein. You know, even lettuce, iceberg lettuce has some protein. Now, you know, I don't want people to misconstrue this and say, okay, eat bananas and iceberg lettuce to get your protein. But what's different with plant-based nutrition is you're getting protein from a lot of things over time you know, and you're not relying on just, you know, cow milk or just, you know, um, you know, meat for it. You're going to get it through a variety of sources. And you can do that with lentils, with whole, you know, other beans, um, sorry, legumes like lentils or beans, um, whole grains, um, and then the vegan meat products, you know, which I think can be part of a healthy diet, you know, having the tofurkey sausage or something in there with your dinner, you know, it's, it's they're good sources of protein. Right. And so now that we have all these new companies beyond meat, the impossible burgers that really mimic meat and you can almost trick people that are used to eating meat by preparing them a burger with everything else and you know consistency wise i don't know i don't remember what a burger tastes like but they're said to be super close to that but um from what we read as consumers there's still that b12 is that still something that you can't get out of um a vegan diet yeah b b12 is the one thing um that must be supplemented if you're eliminating animal products it's true um, and the reasoning for that is that it's actually a little complicated, um, because B12 can be made by micro, is made by microorganisms that exist in the soil and in dirt and, um, even in our intestinal tract. But the issue is that the absorption of B12 happens higher up in our, um, intestinal tract than where the microorganisms make the B12. And, you know, and there's this idea that it used to be closer together. So B12 was never, wasn't a nutrient previous, you know, by definition, a nutrient is something we have to eat from food. And if microorganisms are making it for us, then um, you don't have to eat it. Right. Um, and then, but something may have changed evolutionarily. Um, and also our diets in the last hundred years have become very clean. And so this idea that, you know, previously we got B12 just from a little bit of dirt in the food and whatnot. Um, and so therefore the only source currently for B12 is from animal products or um, fortified um, foods or supplements. 
All right, that makes a lot of sense. So um, let's talk about the vegan diet. So somebody that becomes a vegan, we also read nowadays that there's a lot of improvements that happen with um, endurance, etc. Can you elaborate on that and give us your opinion? What can happen when you're on a very clean vegan diet? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and so there, there could be some benefits. And the big one, and, and this, this is more like, you know, anecdotal evidence from, um, you know, people like, you know, Rich Roll and, uh, and the people he interviews, um, is recovery, and that recovery is faster. Um, and, and I, I want people to be sort of science literate, right. And so if you hear a claim, the thought should be, okay, what is what is the mechanism? You know, why could that be? How could this be true? Um, and, and for plant-based diets, the answer is the phytochemicals in fruits and vegetables that act as antioxidants that could help repair cells that are damaged from a hard workout, right? And so the research on this, there's some research, and, and we're starting to look at this, um, is showing that these antioxidants can help recover faster. And athletes know this, like it's a big advantage. If you can recover from your workout faster, you could do more workouts, right? And how do you get fitter? How do you get faster? Well, you work out more. And so if you can recover faster, that's beneficial, you know? And for people who are doing two-a-days and whatnot, that, that could be huge, you know? If you feel better at your night workout and you can push a little bit harder, you're going to see those benefits, you know? And, and, and that could be from the fruits and vegetables. And, um, you know, my, my understanding of the evidence is that it needs to be from actual whole foods. You know, when we start to put things into pills, um, you lose some of that, you know, we're not sure exactly why, um, but, but you do lose a bit. And so you have to actually eat the foods, you know, there's no shortcut for that. Right. Because um, whatever you get in the pill is a little bit processed. Is that what you think that is? Yeah, and, and you must lose something in that process, you know, in, in to make something shelf stable, you know, you, you, you may be removing a little bit, you know, um, there. And it's, it's true. Um, and, and what's unfortunate then is a lot of the research is done with supplements, you know, because it's just way easier and cheaper, you know, um, in, a, in a clinical study or whatnot than to like make people eat beets or celery, right? They might not like it. They may get tired of eating it. Um, and, and so unfortunately we use supplements a lot in the studies and I, I think that's what makes it less effective and that's why the evidence isn't quite as strong. Um, and you know, and anecdotal evidence has its limits for sure, but you hear it over and over about recovering quicker with plant-based, plant-based athletes. That's awesome. Um, okay. So then what are some other things, um, that vegan athletes have to pay attention to, to continue performing at their best? compared to other yeah, athletes? you know, it, it takes more work. You know, my vegan activist friends get mad when I say this, but it does take more work. And when I, when I first got into racing and things um, in, in the early aughts, you know, it would be tough. You know, sometimes I was really into ultra cycling. And in California, we have a double century series, which is really fun. Um, and I'd get, you know, I pay the same amount as everyone else. And then they'll have dinner afterward. And I mean, there's one, one event in particular, like the options were chicken, barbecue, or chili, and the beans had lard, you know? And I'm like, man, it's like, I can't eat any of it. And I'm like, I've been eating bananas for 
14 hours or something, you know, and I'm just like, I want something hot, you know, and, and it's tough. And, and that, that can be, that's an issue, which does make, you know, eating differently than others requires more planning, you know, and for me, it's just something that I've adopted so early on, you know, is that like, I have to be prepared on my own. Um, but fortunately, that's changing you know, um, and, and we're seeing a lot more of it. It's thanks to all the ultra runners and ultra cyclists who are into this, that, you know, race directors are saying, Oh, okay. We need to make sure that we have food for everyone. Um, and, and just being aware of, you know, having to eat enough and balancing sort of health, right. With, um, getting enough calories, you know, and, and, that can be a challenge for folks, you know, folks who want to eliminate oil or they want to eliminate so-called processed foods, but yet they need to eat 4,000 calories a day. That can become a challenge, you know, and I always try to loosen people up on that. You know, it's like if you're eating this great, beautiful stir fry, you know, but you need more protein or more calories, it's okay to put a vegan meat in there. You know, you're still eating predominantly whole foods, but you can get more protein and more calories from these, um, you know, packaged products or whatever we want to call them. Right. So it's basically uh, just awareness of that you might have to put in a little bit more extra work and um, like you said, to be prepared. All right. Yeah. So Matt, how can people get in touch with you if they want to um, follow you on social media or ask you questions? Yeah, um, my my. I think all of my social media is just, um, for better or worse, my name Matt Rusigno, right? R U S C I G N O. Um, there aren't a whole lot of Matt Rusignos out there. It should be easy to follow me. Um, and I do want to plug um, the plant-based sports nutrition book that I contributed to last year um, on Human Kinetics Publisher. Um, I got to work with a brilliant Annette Larson Meyer. Um, she's a PhD RD and, um, we put this book together and it has over 600 references. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a textbook. You know, some of my friends bought it just to be polite and they said, Oh my God, Matt, this is, this is so dense. You know, I don't even know what to do with it, you know, but if you like this topic and you really want to dig in and you want to look at like, you know, the nutrient contents of various foods and everything. Like this is the book for you, really. Plant-based sports nutrition, it's called. It just came out last year. So it's super up to date and tried to make it very practical. You know, it's because it takes more than knowledge. It takes like, how do you do it? How do you actually apply these things? So we tried to include some of that too. That's awesome. We'll definitely link that in our show notes. So for anybody who's listening. All right. So thank you so much um, for your time. We really appreciated it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to help people think about, you know, their food choices, you know, for their individual health and for the health of the people around you and for the animals and, and for the earth, you know, and, and we're fortunate that eating more plant foods is, is good for all of those things. You know, it really does line up well. It's pretty nice. It does. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thank Have you. Have a Take good care. one. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. Thank you so much again, Matt, for coming onto my show and sharing your knowledge with me. I was super excited and honored to have you on here. So now, as promised, we're going to go into the top running tips from the, I mean, top vegan tips 
from the running community, not top running tips from the vegan community. That's a topic for another episode. But we're going to start with Olga MK. Olga MK says she makes sure to load on leafy greens and whole foods on her running days as that just noticeably boosts her energy. Don Amy Reese says that she's been a vegan for three years. And interestingly, Don has figured out that cashews are the easiest to milk. So the recipe to do that is to soak them overnight or pour boiling water over them and let them sit for a few hours. Drain, rinse, add 1.5 cups of cashews to 5.5 cups of water and a pinch of salt, vanilla if you like, and a few dates or maple syrup if you like to sweeten it. Blend it in the Vitamix for a few minutes. So that's really interesting. I've never tried to do, to make my own uh, nut milk, but thank you, Don, so much for that tip. Another tip comes from Kimberly Sundling, and she says, make sure you're eating enough. Vegan diets can be low in calories, and underfueling is devastating to runners. Very important, and that kind of goes along the lines of what Matt was talking about. Dana Piscovo says that as a runner, she believes hydration and nutrient-dense food is the biggest tip. Pay attention to macros and get the right nutrition for the type of running you're doing and the level of runner that you are. All right, so our next tip comes from Teresa Trovich for a straight. And she says that she's been a vegan for seven years and a vegetarian prior. She says she does feel like she has more strength, stamina, and endurance than her other friends, and her friends confirm that. Her main tips are to listen to your body. There's no one-size-fits-all. And also, she says, if you're eating a plant-based, nutrient-rich, and dense diet, then you should not really worry about protein too much. Next, we have Gotham RG, and he says that his number one observation or observable takeaway so far has been the reduced time to recovery from one hard workout to the next. So again, that's something that Matt highlighted in his conversation with me, and it's great to hear that our uh, running community feels those same effects. Then we have Ray Josephs, and he says his number one tip would be to say carbs are your friend. Too often people try to stay away from the high-carb diets, but in racing and training, carbs are fuel. Plant-based diets that are high in oats, quinoa, sweet and regular potatoes, plus all fruits are staples to healthy, balanced diets and happen to be carb-heavy. Couldn't agree with you more, Ray Josephs. So last one, last tip, or I guess last story comes from Nita Brooks. And she says, I have a short story. I'm a marathon runner and I was preparing for my third Boston marathon when I transitioned to vegan. Typically for my pre-race meals, I'd eat pasta, then pizza, and the last two nights prior to my race. About five weeks before the 2018 marathon, I ate cheese and had a stomach ache for two days. I realized then that my body had adjusted and couldn't handle the dairy anymore. This made me nervous going into the Boston Marathon. I'd noticed I'd been feeling pretty bad after most recent two 20-milers, and so I need, knew I needed to come up with a good plan for fueling prior to heading to Boston. My go-to pre-run meals ended up being things like pasta with marinara sauce, brown rice with tofu, and a few vegetables. In Boston, I found a Whole Foods and loaded up a to-go container with these same items. Brown rice, tofu, potatoes, veggies, and a roll. She ended up feeling amazing during that Boston Marathon and was strong until the finish with a 9-minute PR. 
Fueling is now an intentional part of her evening before long runs in the morning. Thank you, Nita, so much for sharing your story. And thank you to all of you who contributed to this podcast episode and shared your tips and stories and information on how to be a better vegan. Who knows? Maybe with all of you guys' help, I can make this something long-term for myself as well. All right, so now I'm going to move on to our usual segment with Australian physiotherapist Brody Sharp. Every week we call Brody to ask him one of our listeners' questions on the air about running-related injuries or tips for injury prevention. So I'm going to go ahead and make this phone call. Hi, Brody. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. Thank you for coming. I have a question for you from Gina Morrison, and Gina says, I went to a running store when I first started running, and I was told that I have a neutral foot. Now, five years later, I'm being told that I overpronate. Can you please explain how this would happen? Okay. Um, this is a very uh, heated topic that I have, um, and we could probably chat for about an hour on this one. Make sure that like, when you do go to a running store, um, the... The salesmen that are there and the people that work there, they're trying to help you as best they can. They're mainly told that if you have, say, flat feet, then you need support. If you have a neutral foot, you need a certain type of shoe. If you have a high arch, then you need this type of shoe. And they're trying to fit the two together. Um, there's no evidence to show that the shoe that is best for you would match your foot shape or the amount of pronation or the amount of movement that's created. So um, just keep that in mind. That's... Uh, what the shoe stores are trained to kind of go through, but there's just no evidence linking any of that together. It won't reduce your risk of injury. It won't help your performance. Um, so when you're being told that you overpronate, that's actually a, a term that we can kind of, we're starting to scrap away from terminology like overpronate because pronation is actually a really healthy movement for the, the body. The body needs to go through pronation in order to absorb the load through the body when you do run. Otherwise, it might increase your risk of injury. And there is evidence to show that those who do pronate do not get, or those who overpronate don't get, uh, they're not susceptible to injuries as much as any other runner. Like everyone gets injured at the same rate. And so if you uh, have been told that you do overpronate and that you need a different type of shoe, um, I'd be very skeptical of that. But what the evidence does show is you will best thrive in a shoe that you feel is most comfortable to run in. And you should pretty much just base your decision on comfort. And so try a whole bunch of different shoes. You can try ones with more support, less support, and hopefully you can try that out in the shoe store and have a bit of a jog around or run on a treadmill or something. And what you find the most comfortable is the shoe that you should go with. Um, I hope that answers the question. I do have a podcast episode on this. It was number 52 and the title was, um, is there a right or wrong shoe for me? Um, wait, let me say that again. Is there a right and wrong shoe? Uh, and I interviewed uh, J.F. Escoulier, who is a really world-renowned um, running biomechanist and like a, um, a scholar, a researcher in this whole topic. And so I interview him and plug his brain of what's the right and wrong shoe. And we do discuss pronation over pronation, neutral foot, all that kind of thing. So if you'd like more information, then I'd direct you to episode 52 on the Run Smarter podcast. 
Perfect, Brody. Thank you. And how else can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, so you can, if you had a question that you want contact me with directly, um, I do have my brand new website, runsmarter.online. It has all my previous blogs, my previous podcast episodes, and there is a contact form there if you'd like to um, visit there. Thank you so much, Brody. You're very welcome. All right. Thank you so much, Brody, for coming onto our show and answering our listeners' questions. And if you are a listener and would like to have your question answered on the air by Australian physiotherapist Brody Sharp, please be sure to send us a message. And with that, I leave you to have happy holidays and stay safe. And as always, have a great week of running. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, we hope that we were able to provide you with something of value. Make sure you like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks. Until next time, have a great week of running.